Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. jump to our message for today. We're in a series in week two. We're calling Asking for a Friend. Everyone say that with me. Asking for a Friend. Now, here's what we're going to be doing um, in this series. There's a fundamental foundational truth about Christianity and about following Jesus that a lot of people miss along the way. And what we want you to know, if you don't get anything else from this series, we want you to get this. Questions are good. They're not bad. They're good. They won't weaken your faith, they'll strengthen your faith and deepen your faith if you learn to ask them, and learn to ask them in the right way. Questions are good. And we're hitting this all across Community Vope, here in Loxahatchee, online, West Palm Beach, CUH Espanol, and even our new Lake Worth campus. Pastor Dale is preaching over in Lake Worth today, he'll be back here next week. And this is what we're getting at in this series. So um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up. If you don't yet, go ahead and grab your COH app, open that up for some notes. There's sermon notes in there. You can read scriptures in there too. Somebody, I saw one of our kids, I hope kids bust out his adventure Bible. Awesome way to go, buddy. Way to bring that. Very good. And so we're going to be looking at the Bible here. But our theme verse for this series is Matthew 22, verse 37. We're going to put this on the screen. and want everyone to read it out loud all together, whether you're here in the room, you're out in the porch, you're at Starbucks watching this. I don't care what you're doing. Read this with me. Ready? Go. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The key phrase and the key verse here is with all your mind. All of them matter with your heart, your soul. Another, another verse in different gospels says all your strength. And this one here says with all your mind. See, what you have to know, especially for those of you who are new to faith, maybe you're new to coming back to faith. Maybe it's been a while since you've been in church. Maybe you've never been to church. If you've ever gotten the message that you have to check your brain at the door to follow Jesus, that's not the message of this book, and that's not what Jesus would want you to do. Jesus defines loving the Lord as loving him with every part of you, including your brain. So it's a thinking person's faith. You don't have to check your brain at the door. It will hold intellectual water. So this is what we're going to be talking about. Now, over the past two weeks... Excuse me, Uh, last week when we launched this series, we started with a question where the premise of this is we're asking questions about faith. And a lot of times we're asking for a friend because we're embarrassed to ask questions sometimes. People, anybody here ever been embarrassed to ask a question? You're like, oh, am I going to look stupid? Am I going to look bad if I ask this? And in Jesus, there are no stupid questions. There's no such thing as that. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. So, um, so we say, we're asking for a friend. Yeah. So last week we asked this first question here. Um, what, or how can I know God's plan for my life? How can I know God's plan for me? And we explored that. This week, we're looking at the question, what do I do with my doubt? What do I do with my doubt? We're going to be exploring the topic of doubt today. Now, uh, speaking a few moments ago, when we were talking about high school graduates and whatnot, many of you know I have little kids. Um, I have four under the age of nine. And um, yeah, I know somebody just laughed at me. I feel yeah, I feel bad for me. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, I know that I'm going to blink, and my kids will be graduating high school. 
That's what anybody who's a little bit further down the road from me says, enjoy it while it lasts. The days are long, the years are quick. And I'm finding that to be very true. So uh, two of my kids are in elementary school. And this week for the district for uh, Palm Beach County was take your sons and daughters to work day. And so several of us here at the Loxahatchee campus have kids in elementary school and in the, in the public school district. So we brought our kids to work day and we just didn't have to tag along and sit and play on an iPhone all day. We planned a day of ministry at Community of Hope for them. And so here's some pictures I want to show you. They came and helped us set up the food pantry on Thursday to help feed the hungry in Jesus' name. They helped set up Kids of Hope. Here's a picture of them taking a break with a chocolate ice cream bar. Yeah, because everyone knows our staff takes a break at 2 p.m. every day to have chocolate ice cream bars, right? Don't you do that at work every day? No. Um, they helped with all sorts of stuff. We had a meeting at the beginning of the day. We had different setup stuff. They did social media posts. We had let them look at the tech stuff in the back. We prayed over the chairs in here together. We did all sorts of cool staff things together. But here's one of the highlights of the day for me in particular. They sat with me, and they helped me in a sermon planning session. Yeah. In fact, they helped me write this sermon today. Yeah. And so there's usually two reactions to that. Some people are going, oh. And some people are going, oh, finally, you'll quit using made-up words, Trevor. I'm like, okay. So um, they helped me write this sermon today. And we looked at uh, the topic of doubt and the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at here. And that's some of our notes on the board. Some of it's my handwriting. Some of it's their handwriting. If you can tell the difference between my handwriting and theirs, you know, that's good. And, um, and we had a good time looking at this together. Now, um, you can take the picture of the board off. What was fascinating is what these kids learned about Jesus and doubt from the passage we're going to look at here in just a few moments is that they clearly saw how Jesus treats people who struggle with doubt. And you know what they told me? And I think they're totally right. This is what our children observed. Jesus loves people who struggle with doubt. Jesus is kind to people who struggle with doubt. And Jesus is forgiving of people who struggle with doubt. I think most people are ashamed of their doubt. They either hold it like a badge of honor, like I'm skeptical of everything and this whole thing is dumb, or they're afraid to mention it because they think they're less than. And Jesus comes right for us when we struggle with our doubts, with kindness and love, and meets us where we're at. And this is the passage we're going to read today. We're going to watch how Jesus approaches the most famous doubter in all of the Bible, how Jesus treated him, and how we can watch his journey with doubt for how we can learn how to manage our own doubts. Yin, you with me? Yes. Great. Okay. I think somebody just said no. <laughs> well, too bad. You're buckled in anyway. All right. So let's go to John chapter 20. And this is verses 19 through 29. And this is, uh, this is here, a little bit of context. This starts on Easter Sunday. Jesus has been crucified on Friday and died a bloody, horrible, gruesome death on the cross for the sins of the world. Saturday, silent, all hope is lost. Sunday, the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty, and we find the disciples together in a room. Verse 19. 
on the evening of the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not, I would say not. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So, Lord Jesus, just like you came to the disciples and your first two words to the ten who were there, we know Judas was gone already, Thomas was missing, and you said twice to them, peace be with you, because you're the prince of peace, manifest by the Holy Spirit, supernatural peace that surpasses understanding now. Here in this room, all over our property, and with everyone who's watching this online. We pray for your peace to saturate our hearts and our minds now. And Jesus, just as you are the friend of Thomas, who is doubting you, come be our friend now and help us navigate our doubts. Be our guide. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. So when you think about it, we have very limited information on this group of guys called the disciples. In fact, everything we know about Jesus, if you think about it, comes from these 12 guys. Now remember in the story, Judas has already left and hung himself, so it's only the 11 left. And so everything we know about this Jesus movement has flowed from these 11 people. And we really don't know a whole lot about them but we know they made an indelible mark upon the world. The great um, Methodist preacher and scholar Ellsworth Callis, who is uh, my preaching professor and Pastor Dale's preaching professor, ironically, in totally different generations in seminary, um, 
This man said this, Ellsworth Kellis quote, he said, if there's ever been a small group of people who have left an indelible impact upon the world, it is this group. When Jesus left the planet, he left his mission and his message in the care of these persons. And today, their spiritual descendants constitute the single largest religious body in the entire world, from 12 to billions. It's an incredible movement. And so here's what we know about these guys. We don't know a lot. We can fit a few pieces together from what we can pull from the pages of the narratives, from the Gospels. But here's what we do know. Many of them were by trade fishermen. Some of them worked for the Roman government, like Matthew. He was a tax collector. Some of them were political activists working against the government, like Simon the Zealot. If you're not familiar with what a zealot is, a zealot was an ancient um, Israelite who thought the world should be taken over by Jewish theocracy. And so um, they would often pursue their ends to violent, uh, their, their ends through violent means and whatnot. So think about it this way. We have Matthew, who works for the Roman IRS. We have Simon the Zealot, who's trying to overthrow the Roman government. Dinner parties were really interesting with the 12, okay? Uh, here's what else we know about the 12 disciples. Two sets of them were brothers. There's Peter and Andrew. They were brothers, And then we know of James and John, who are also brothers. And Jesus gave these guys an awesome nickname. He thought that they had um, a little bit of bluster about them. So he called them the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder, which sounds like a perfect wrestling tag team name. The sons of thunder this Friday night on WWE, brother, yeah. That came out a little too. You just learned about me then, what I watch, okay. So, but there, there was one disciple amongst these group of guys who got a nickname. Like Peter got a nickname. His name is actually Simon, but his nickname was Peter, which is really, Jesus was calling him the rock. He was the first, the rock, speaking of wrestling. But Thomas got a nickname that he didn't get it from Jesus. He got it from Christ followers across the centuries. Everybody knows it, whether you're a Christ follower or not. It's just in our cultural axioms. He's known as Thomas the Doubter. Oh, don't be a doubting Thomas. Thomas the Doubter. This dude has got a bad rap for 2,000 years. Unlucky Thomas. What a bummer. And you know what? It's fascinating is we actually don't know a whole lot about him either. But here's what we do know. What we do know about Thomas, and we saw in the passage of it, his name, uh, he was also called Didymus, which is a word that means twin. So we think Thomas may have had a twin, which is interesting. If his parents gave him the name where his name is twin, what do you call his brother? Like, mm, I don't know. Um, tradition, so outside of scripture, tells us that Thomas was a builder. He was a construction worker. Thomas's name is only mentioned in the Bible 11 times. And of those 11 times, it's only mentioned in three stories. And all three stories happen within the Gospel of John, which the great scholar N.T. Wright says, anytime John describes a character, he really takes it from 2D into 3D. You really get a sense for the personality of people in the Gospel of John. And so this morning, what we want to do is uh, we want to spend time challenging the nickname Thomas has. I want to challenge that Thomas is the doubter because I think he's way more than that. And in fact, I want to talk about doubt today. Every now and again, as pastors, we're asked about doubt. 
And sometimes people are, I'm just asking for a friend about doubt. And it sounds like this. Sometimes they say, what do I do with my doubt? But other times they ask, is it bad to doubt? Can I have doubts and still be a Christ follower? Is doubt the opposite of faith? Does doubt disqualify my faith? And most importantly, how might I be able to lower or shrink my doubt? So these are some things we're focusing on today. Now, what we're not going to do is spend the next little bit amount of time having trivia about Thomas and only that, and you can go and impress your friends later. What we are going to do is study Thomas and Thomas's doubt to be a guide for how we can handle our doubt. How did he handle his, and how did Jesus help him in his, so that we can learn what to do with our own doubts and to help answer the question, what do I do, what do you do when we struggle with doubt? So let's jump in. We're going to look at these three stories today. Story number one. Everyone say story one. Story one. The first story comes from John chapter 11. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. We'll be here a long time in a community of hope. We really believe in brisk hour and 45 minute long sermons. So (laughs) just kidding. So uh, John 11, let me paraphrase it here. The story is one of Jesus's very close friends. He's not one of 12 disciples, but he was a very dear family friend of Jesus, Lazarus. His sisters were Mary and Martha and Lazarus gets sick. Jesus gets word about it. And then Jesus finds out that Lazarus dies. Part of it is he gets word about it, and another is he discerns it by the power of the Spirit that Lazarus has died. Now, Jesus knows he's receiving an assignment from the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he's supposed to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. And this is how he begins to describe it to his disciples. He says to the 12 who are with him, he knows what's going on, and he's kind of speaking to innuendo. He goes, friends, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And I say, let's go wake him up. Man, that sounds awesome, right? That's what he said. The disciples are so dense that they literally, if you read the text, this is literally how they respond. But Jesus, if he's sleeping, why do you want to wake him up? It's like, man, Jesus, man code. If another man is asleep taking a nap, you don't wake another man up. Hello, what are we doing here? And you could see the frustration build in Jesus. We said this awesome thing like, and let's go wake him up. And nobody gets it. Nobody understands it. So Jesus goes, okay. Dummies. <laughs> Lazarus is dead. And I'm going to go raise him. And I'm like, oh. Now, we see their response in some of these things. Some of them are confused. But some have different responses. And Thomas chimes in. Oh, no is right. John 11, verse 16, Thomas chimes in, and Thomas speaks up and says, let us also go that we may die with him. Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, if you've been reading the Bible for a while, and maybe you're not familiar with how to read the Bible necessarily, many people read this book, and they put this spiritual lens on it, and put all this weird religious stuff on top of the Bible. So people read what Thomas says, they read it like this. Okay, Thomas is dead. Let's go raise him. Okay, then let us all go so that we may die with him. That's how they read it. Stiff, religious, weird. Who says that? Let us go so we may die too, Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God. 
let us go and love thy Lord, thy God. Like, this is why people don't go to church. Like, that's, that's weird. That's weird. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. Do you know what it really is? What Thomas is saying is, well, then let us go and die with him. Imagine Thomas is being played by Chris Farley, the legendary SNL comedian. Chris Farley from Tommy Boy and Best Friends of David Spade. Imagine Chris Farley is playing Thomas, and Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. We're going to go raise him. And everybody knows going to Jerusalem is dangerous, okay? And so that's why Thomas is speaking up. So Thomas, played by Chris Farley, responds to us, goes, well, great, grand, wonderful. Let's all go and we'll die too. Awesome. And then they'll just go. That's Thomas. Great, grand, wonderful, awesome. Let's all go die, Jesus. You don't see the cynicism or sarcasm on the page. That's what was happening. And so what's Thomas? Is he the doubter? No. Thomas is real. There's not a fake bone in his body. Thomas is not the doubter. He's the authentic. Thomas, the authentic. There's no veneer to Thomas. There's no filter with Thomas. Any of you have a no filter friend? Oh, I heard somebody. Oh, God is exactly right. Yeah. You're kind of nervous to bring those people around. This is who Thomas is. He can't fake anything to save his life. Great. Let's all go die. Now, what does this teach us about doubt? It teaches us about your own doubts and your own questions about stuff that we can learn from Thomas is that your doubt, how do I say this? Let me back up. Doubt doesn't have to harm your faith. Doubt can grow your faith if you lean in. But you have to be real. You can't stuff your doubts deep down inside. You can't conceal your doubts. You can't bury them in your backyard. I think people don't know how to be authentic with their questions and with their doubts because of two reasons. One, they've been told their whole life or they assumed that it's not spiritual to ask a question and it's not spiritual to have a doubt. And so the way to approach doubt is you should be ashamed of doubt. So some people just don't. The only problem is you can't, Stuff that stuff deep down. When you stuff your doubts and your questions deep down, and guys are really good at this, we just put it in our gut and put a lock on it, put it with all of our other feelings, and we just never talk about anything. But it will come out eventually. And it will often come out in moments of crisis in your life when you haven't processed questions that you have, and now you have a faith that's beginning to crack in your hands because you didn't ask the questions. That's one reason why people aren't authentic. I think the other reason why people aren't authentic with their doubts is because they're afraid if I ask this question, I'm afraid my whole faith is going to come tumbling down. Anybody ever felt that way before? Here's what I mean by that. Uh, when I was uh, in seminary, it was a wonderful time to prepare for ministry, but just because you're preparing to be a pastor doesn't mean that you don't have doubts or questions too. And there was a class I felt prompted to take, and it was um, a class about another major world religion. In fact, my friend Donovan is here. He and I were in that class together. Now I'm trying to put you on the spot. Surprise. Ha! And, um, and we were in this class together. 
And I'm not going to say which major world religion it is, um, because I have people I know in my life who I love, and I'm trying to love them with the love of Jesus, and I don't want them to feel like I'm dunking on their faith publicly on the internet, okay? So I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to be coy here, I'm just trying to love the people in my life, I'm loving with the love of Jesus. Make sense? Okay, so I took this class about another major world religion. But it wasn't like, and through the lens of Christianity and why we're right and they're wrong, it wasn't like that. It was like, and here's their holy sacred text, not interpreted by Christians, by them, and you will read every single verse of every single page of this book. And you will read history from this world religion, not told by Christians, but told by people from that religion. And you're going to go to this religious center where they practice their services. You don't have to participate, but you have to go and observe and maybe have dialogue with people. And you need to go, not go from the lens of Christianity. You need to go and just go into the lens to learn. And let me tell you, that intimidated me because I would stand there looking at this book from another major world religion going, oh man, I'm nervous. If I open up this book and begin reading it, what do I do if I begin to feel like I feel when I'm reading the Bible? That's going to mess up my theology. That's going to mess up what I believe about Jesus, about how he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him, and what I believe about the Christian scriptures as unique revelation from God. What if I find answers I'm scared to find out? Does that make sense? And so I had two choices. I could either unenroll from the class and shut the book and not be authentic and stuff those questions deep down in my gut and never deal with it. Or I could have courage to face it and be real. And let me tell you, I read every single page and every single chapter and every single verse. And I did all the stuff I just said. And you know what happened? My faith in Jesus went from here to here. And my belief in the Christian scriptures went from here to here and only solidified what I felt because I faced questions and I was authentic. You don't need to be afraid to ask the question. You don't need to be afraid of your doubt. You do need to be authentic. And when you are, your faith is going to grow. It's not going to weaken. It will strengthen. So Thomas is not the doubter. He's the authentic. Story two. Everyone say story two. Story two. Story two comes from John chapter 14. Jesus has just told the disciples the grand plan. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And the high priests and the teachers of the law are going to kill me. They're going to crucify me, and I'm going to die. But don't worry. In three days, I'll be raised from the dead. The disciples heard nothing about three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead. They all went, oh, my God, you're going to die. Oh, we're going to die. And they just all freaked out and started having panic. They just started grieving. And so Jesus is trying to comfort the disciples in John 14. He tells them this. He goes on and says, don't worry. How do I say this? I'm going to my father's house. And guys, there's many rooms in my father's house. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I'll come back to bring you to be with me where I am. What a good friend Jesus is, right? He says this to them. Peter is nodding his head. John is the emotional disciple, and he's the one crying and nodding his head. And Thomas, oh boy, Thomas, oh God. Thomas reads, I have a question, of course. Thomas has a question. So Jesus is having this heartfelt moment, and Thomas decides to reply in verse 5. Lord, 
We don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Ever the realist, ever the practical one, Thomas is there going, Lord, again, Jesus saying, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to my father's house. And Thomas is going, you didn't give us directions? I don't, I, uh, can you send it to me on Google Maps? Just, just text it. Is it left or right out of Jerusalem? Which, Lord, which, Lord, Lord, which one is it? I don't understand. I don't get it. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand. Which way do I go? Ladies, this is concrete evidence from the Bible. A man can ask directions. They can do it. It is possible. We are capable. Now, what does this tell us about Thomas? It tells us he's practical, he's a realist, and wait for it, he asks questions. Is Thomas the doubter? No, he's Thomas the inquisitive. He's Thomas the inquisitive. What does this teach us about doubt? What do you do when you don't understand something? What do you do when you don't understand? Well, I know we're supposed to ask questions, but what do we actually do? What we actually do is uh, we have two choices. If there's something we don't understand, maybe there's a person we don't understand, and we often get angry at what we don't understand. If there's somebody or something we don't understand, we have two choices. Judgment, like we judge the person, the situation, the idea, the concept, the faith. We judge it, or we can get curious about it. So one, you got to face your doubt with authenticity. Two, when there's something you don't understand, don't stand in judgment and write it off. No, get curious about what you don't understand. Like, I don't get why it's that way. Why do Christ followers believe that? Why does the Bible say this? Yeah, well, the Bible says that, and I think it's stupid. Why don't you find out why it says it first? And learn and get curious. Did you know, I read this past week, that children ask on average 125 questions a day. I had somebody tell me in the service afterward, yeah, I know. And when we get to table, the dinner table, we put a timer on and says, and no one's allowed to ask mommy questions for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> children ask 125 questions a day. You know how many questions adults ask a day? Six. Somewhere between childhood and adulthood, we lose 119 questions. What if you learned to become more curious and inquisitive about what you don't understand, especially about Jesus and faith? That's the way to navigate doubt. Don't blow it off. Don't shove it down in your stomach and never talk about it. Ask about it. Thomas the Inquisitive. Okay, story three. Everyone say it with me. Last story for today. It's from a passage that we read. John chapter 20. It's Easter Sunday, starting in verse 19. All the disciples are there when the resurrected Jesus appears to them. And it's phenomenal. They're overjoyed. Jesus is not dead. He's alive, just like he said he was. And said he would be conquering Satan, sin, and death forevermore. And a new age of humanity in the world has been brought in because Jesus is alive and he's not dead. And they saw him with their own eyes. He appeared in the room, showed him his wounds, and said, friends, peace be with you. And everything changed forever. And Thomas missed it. Stinks to be Thomas. <laughs> Worst timing ever. He's going to have a permanent case of FOMO. Anybody know what FOMO is? 
Fear of missing out. Dude, you should have been there. Jesus came back. I grew up in Tampa. There wasn't that many celebrities when I was growing up in Tampa. The biggest celebrity in Tampa was when you're at Countryside Mall and you ran into Hulk Hogan. That was a big deal. There's a wrestling thing today. Has anybody noticed this? <laughs> and so, and, but they saw Jesus in the flesh. And Thomas missed it. And he wouldn't believe. He said, you all are crazy. Now, let's get throw Thomas a bone here. When somebody dies, they stay dead, right? So let's not all judge Thomas. You and I would do the same thing if somebody was dead for three days and somebody came and told us he's alive. We would call them delusional. But notice Thomas. He didn't say, I'll never believe you. He said, unless I can experience him myself, I will not believe it. Fast forward one week later, it's Sunday morning, and Jesus appears to not just the 10, but the 11 with Thomas, which is a great advertisement for why you should keep coming to church after Easter, because Jesus will show up. (laughs) Jesus shows up. If you read it very carefully, he's already met with the 10. Remember, Judas is gone. He's already encountered the 10. There's one there who he hasn't encountered yet. Jesus shows up again, says the same thing he said before, be at peace. And he goes straight for Thomas. I could just see everyone else backing away because Jesus locked in on Thomas with eyes that are full of kindness and love and goes up to him and he doesn't shame him for not believing. Do you notice that? He doesn't shame him. He talks about it. He doesn't shame him. He goes, hey, Thomas, Here they are. Go ahead. You can put your finger in where the nail was. Go ahead. I heard you. I heard your prayer. Go ahead. Where the spear went into my side and blood and water flowed. Go ahead. You can do that. And Thomas did it. And Thomas had this unbelievable reaction where he said, my Lord, go ahead and put it up. I imagine he fell on his knees. And he said, my Lord, and notice this, and my God, what an unbelievable confession in the Bible that Jesus is not only Lord of Lord and King of Kings, but he's son of the living God and one with God the Father himself. And Thomas believes I think the funny thing is, from that moment on, Thomas ended up taking the gospel further than any of the other remaining 10 disciples. Do you know how Thomas died? Thomas didn't die in Jerusalem as perpetual doubter and skeptic. Thomas was transformed by touching the wounds of Jesus. Here's a picture of the mountain where Thomas died. That is a city called Chennai, India. And on top of that mountain is where Thomas was martyred for the name of Jesus Christ and for declaring that Jesus is Lord and God and he's alive and he's not dead and he was killed for it and his blood was spilled on the top of that mountain and now there's a shrine there. That's where his tomb is. That's where people go and worship Jesus and remember Thomas who was not the doubter. How can the doubter take the gospel further than anybody else of any of the other 10 He took it further than all of them because he's not the doubter. He's Thomas the willing. The willing. 
He was authentic with his doubts. He was inquisitive with his doubts. And he was willing because Jesus came to him and reached out his wounds. Just like Jesus will, will reach out to you with himself. If you are authentic and you are inquisitive, Jesus of Nazareth will reveal himself to you. But it's two ways. Jesus reached out to Thomas, but Thomas was willing to reach back to Jesus when the Lord came for him. So how do you navigate doubt? Be real, be authentic, be inquisitive, and be willing when Jesus reaches for you. Will you be reach back for him and believe and be transformed?